Hi, I'm Johan Hannes uh, from Brussels, Belgium, and welcome back in the new episode of the podcast Lifestyle uh, is on Air. Since almost one year, we've been facing a medical situation which have caught us unprepared. The first victims were older people, so for a long time we have ignored the danger that the virus represents for the younger generation. Time shows us that solidarity must always be the right attitude in the face of life challenges because we can never know how the situation might affect us. In a recent article in the New York Times, Why Older People Managed to Stay Happier Through the Pandemic by Benedict Carey, the author explores the results of a new survey in US from last year regarding how the ability to cope improves with age. The findings regarding mental health show that, compared to young adults, people aged 50 and over tend to experience more positive emotions, independently of income or education. Younger people react far worse emotionally to the consequences of the pandemic, maybe also because their life goals are different than those of the, old, the older generation, gravitating more towards daily activities. Meanwhile, younger people have been robbed of their normal life with regards to school, sports, first jobs, parties and travels. Alison Abbott in Nature's article COVID's Mental Health told how scientists are tracking a surge in depression from February uh, this year, reviews how researchers worldwide investigate the causes and impacts of the stress caused by the pandemic on our mental health. Anxiety and depression are constantly increasing, and it seems this will not go back soon to the level before the pandemic. In this episode of our podcast, we will try to see how we can deal with stress through lifestyle interventions such as stress management, through Alexandra's story, and nutrition, the book of Dr. Uma Naidu. In the second part of the podcast, we will tackle another aspect of the brain health, more specifically, how lifestyle can influence the onset of Alzheimer, but also how we can learn to live with this reality which is diagnosed every year on 225,000 people and according to the World Health Organization, will double before 2050. The personal story of Joanna and the interview with Anne-Claude Girard van der Lieden will complete this episode. Alexandra de Toledo is a young pharmacist from Switzerland who was a student in the European Lifestyle Medicine Certificate, the last year's spring session. She was kind to share how she tried to deal with the stress caused by this pandemic. Her experience could be interesting for those looking for ideas to relax. Let's hear what she wants to share with us. So uh, hello, Alexandra, and uh, welcome in the in the podcast. Uh, how are you doing? Hi, Johan. Um, I'm good. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to participate to this podcast, which I found find very interesting. And I hope you are doing well. 
Thank you. Thank you. I'm doing well. And uh, um, I would be happy if you share uh, your experience uh, with uh, managing stress, uh, reducing anxiety, which uh, they are very useful uh, during this time. And um, for people who are listening to us, um, just uh, to say that uh, you are a pharmacist and uh, you've been uh, participating in the in the European Lifestyle Medicine Certificate and you are uh, living uh, between uh, Geneva, Switzerland and uh, France uh, in Paris. Uh, but now you are in south of uh, France, uh, if I remember well. Yes, exactly. So I'm a pharmacist. I'm from Geneva originally. I studied there. And uh, when they talked about uh, a lockdown uh, a few weeks ago already, uh, I had to decide where I wanted to be locked down. So I decided to go somewhere where I can be uh, like close to the nature instead of staying in an apartment and because I had this opportunity and I'm very lucky uh, I decided to go in France and uh, yeah and yeah. so I'm used to working from home so anyway it didn't oh I had such such a chance because for most of us it was really a big challenge to, to work from home but even when uh, we work from home uh, we know that um, um, having a self-discipline, it's really, um, sometimes it's really stressful. And um, during this time, you, um, you've been able to uh, develop or maybe even discover new habits. Uh, uh, if I understood well, you, you started to do regularly yoga. Uh, why yoga and uh, what is your experience uh, until now with this new habit? So during our uh, ENMO certification that uh, I did uh, with you these past few weeks, I had to choose a habit that I wanted to improve, and it was the stress management. So uh, to complete the, the certification, we were supposed to do the, this goal um, uh, objective, Mm -hmm. and, um, the smart objective. Yeah, yeah. smart objective, exactly. And um, and so I really thought about it and I told you that I wanted to start doing some yoga because it helps you connect again with your body and um, focus on your breathing. And I think I always liked the the yoga lifestyle if i can call it this way which mm -hmm. trying to reconnect but as well have this healthy lifestyle going like around and it's really a state of mind that always interested me but when i was in geneva before the lockdown i always found excuses of not doing this and maybe doing more like um, other other type of physical activity mm -hmm. here in the like uh, at the cabin, I decided to to take more time, and because as well, uh, people are cannot go out, so we have time, and mm -hmm. it can be stressful, and maybe sometimes we watch movies or I don't know, we watch the news, and it can be stressful, and uh, it can uh, generate some anxiety, some anxiety, 
So I decided to wake up early, as usual, but a bit earlier and start practicing yoga. And sometimes I would even do this on Zoom with some friends. Mm. It's mm -hmm. exciting because instead of uh, doing maybe an apéro on Skype, we do early morning yoga, which gives you a lot of energy. And, um, and I mean, your body feels so um, dynamic after that. And as well, your mind is relaxed, but you had a nice time and you wake up early, you can see the nature and enjoy it, actually. Mm, it seems a very nice experience. So from what I understood, you are doing usually in the morning and for how long? Uh, 30 minutes uh, or more or less? It depends, but I try to do between 30 minutes and one hour. Mm -hmm. It depends at what time I, I wake up, of course, because like this, I can start uh, work. Right. Exactly. And uh, do you, f you, you told me that, um, that you feel energized about these new um, lifestyle habits. But uh, in the same time, you told me, if I remember well, that you are using also an app uh, which you discovered a few years ago, but... Uh, Uh, with the help of your brother, but then you had no time. But now you you gave a bit of space and time also to to practice relaxation. What is about this uh, this app? So the app is called uh, Headspace, and what I like about it is that it will guide guide you through meditation. And because I'm a beginner, um, mm -hmm. I thought it was easier for me to start these guided uh, meditations. And so when, when I have some, uh, I mean, it doesn't really um, matter when during the day, but uh, sometimes if I want to take a break between uh, two, two tasks uh, that I have to do for work, I would just uh, stop and listen to this app and do mm -hmm. the meditation instead of uh, watching the news, which are really similar from one day to the other and a bit negative sometimes and instead of going um, and check the social medias um, i prefer now to to try to to make the time even if we never have the time and this was my favorite excuse when i was in geneva to not have enough time to do the yoga or try to manage my stress but here i mean the conditions are really ideal I would say, I mean, in my case, and I, I'm, I know that I'm extremely lucky to be here and mm -hmm. in a special context. And so I would, I would rather do this, uh, this small meditation experience instead of uh, ch checking uh, the, the social medias. And uh, do you think that, okay, it's a bit of projection in the future, but for example, Meditation, yoga, I mean, could be also done in a more um, um, noisy place or uh, because, I mean, we always associate uh, meditation that you have to have a silence or it's a type of uh, meditation what you practice that could be done also in everyday life uh, a bit outside of uh, the special situation of the day. I think it is possible. I mean, for now, I'm I'm not sure how I, I will manage that, but um, it's practice. If I understood it correctly, uh, with practice, you can you can really focus on on this meditation, even even if there is some noise around you. 
and um, given like the the benefits of doing this even if it's just a few minutes a day same for the yoga you can see the progress that you do every day and so you it's it's like a well-being um, aspect that maybe we ignore or we don't really think about in our everyday routines but as you can see and feel the benefits of these new habits i think it's very important to try it anyway and uh, and keep doing this because we don't need to do one hour a day i mean it's not possible in in the normal life uh, when we will be back to to this this normal life after the covid 19 crisis I think um, I think this is something that I really want to keep doing. But listen, I mean, I really think now listening to you, it's really relaxing. So definitely your voice <laughs> listening to you probably will help also us, uh, people who are listening, to, to relax because it seems that uh, uh, you, um, how could I say, you emanate uh, lots of uh, interior peace and relaxation. So I really thank you for, uh, for being present uh, and sharing your experience and uh, i know that you have very um, interesting um, future plans regarding about the concept of pharmacy and so on so maybe in the future we can even talk about this when In each episode of our podcast, we recommend a book. Today is This Your, Your Brain on Food by Uma Neidu, he's a medical doctor, MD. Did you know that blueberries can help you cope with PTSD, that salami can cause depression, and that boosting vitamin D intake can help your anxiety? A teasers which you can read on the cover of the book. So this made me curious to read more about it. The author, Dr. Uma Naido, is a psychiatrist and a nutritional specialist, but also a trained chef, working as a director of the Nutritional and Lifestyle Psychiatry at Massachusetts General Hospital in U.S. The book starts with her confession about how she went through a cancer diagnosis, 16 months of chemotherapy, surgery, and radiation. She mentions how she kept her faith based on her strong Hindu roots and her grandmother's and mother's advice that, I quote, this is part of your karma you must face. Approach it and handle it with grace. Have faith in God and it will all be okay. Close quote. The experience has changed radically her lifestyle, including diet, mindfulness, meditation, physical activity, proper sleep, all this reinforcing her mental health power. Writing this book is based on all, on all her past experiences. Depression, PTSD, ADHD, dementia, insomnia, bipolar disorder, and schizophrenia are a few of the medical conditions in which nutrition can play a role, according to the author. Would you like to know which food is good for your mood? They are mostly part of the Mediterranean diet. Here are a few examples. Foods rich in omega-3 fatty acids, such as cold water fatty fish, chia seeds or omega-3 fortified food as eggs, milk and yogurt, canola oil. 
foods rich in helpful vitamins such as legumes, citrus fruits, bananas, avocados, asparagus, nuts and seeds, fish and shellfish, sweet potatoes, strawberries, broccoli, cauliflower and Brussels sprouts. If you look for magnesium, 125 up to 300 milligram per day, you found in avocados, nuts, seeds, legumes, whole grains, salmon, mackerel. Potassium, we can find in sweet potatoes, banana, mushrooms, oranges, peas, and cucumbers. Zinc in seafood, lean beef, poultry, selenium in Brazil nuts, seasoning, spices, and herbs as saffron, 50 milligram was effective as 20 milligram of Prozac in a study, turmeric with the active ingredient curcumin with an effective dose of 501,000 milligram per day. So one tablespoon contains 136 milligram curcumin, according to the author, oregano through carvacrol as an active ingredient, which doubles the effects of antidepressant foods. But we have all this also with foods that affect your mood in a negative way as sugar, high glycemic load carbohydrates such as bread, pasta, and made from refined flour, 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 artificial sweeteners, especially aspartame, added nitrates found in bacon, salami, sausage. The book has also plenty of recipes for cooking tasty meals, which are also useful meals for your brain's health. Enjoy the reading. Ioana is a dentist from Romania, and I met her also in the European Life Medicine Certificate. She's a very beautiful woman, active on social media, interested in and practicing aromatherapy, so you would never guess her story. Based on it, I better understood her motivation to study lifestyle medicine. She had the ability to share with us how Alzheimer's entered her life. Let's hear what she has to say. Um, hi, Joanna, and uh, welcome in the podcast. Uh, thank you for accepting the invitation to talk about um, uh, such a personal and uh, subjective topic, um, your experience uh, uh, with a family member, with your mother, about uh, Alzheimer. Uh, thank you for the invitation. I'm honored to be here with you. Thank you. We, uh, it's my, it's my um, honor because you, um, you've been already in the European Lifestyle Medicine Certificate. We, uh, we met there and uh, during our face-to-face uh, online meeting, uh, we already talked about, um, um, about lifestyle and, and Alzheimer. Um, but did you know something about uh, Alzheimer before you had it in your family? Oh, well, I knew what I guess most people know about this disease. Um, that the person, the, the person affected forgets things and uh, they don't remember where, I don't know, they put their keys, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't realize the gravity and the impact of this disease. Until we experienced it in our family. So, how? I, mm-hmm. Yes, I really thought it affected only uh, people of a certain age. 
80 mm -hmm. plus, I thought. Mm -hmm. not, uh, yes, not younger people. So, so you are how uh, your mother? Which uh, which type of person she she was before the symptoms started? I I you you share with me that uh, uh, she was a university professor, very busy. But how how everything started? Oh well, we didn't realize it was quite a shock for us. Uh, in year two thousand and seventeen, I mean three years ago. Um, she began to forget to go to courses, and we in 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 the family, me and my father and my sister, we didn't realize that it was something wrong. But um, her colleagues told us that she forgets to go to classes. Um, in the family, we we I think she we thought she was just tired. We put mm -hmm. everything on the fact that she was always busy, always on uh, traveling because she traveled a lot. And we thought she was just tired. But no, <laughs> it was quite a shock for us. Uh, which age uh, she had when the, the, the symptoms started? Uh, 62. 62. Mm -hmm. when, when we realized, but uh, putting things um, together, symptoms were around, I don't know, five years ago, something okay. like that. Mm -hmm. Yes. And uh, you told me that she was, a, she was a person who was traveling a lot, very busy. So now, looking back at her lifestyle, what do you think that was eventually an, uh, some uh, factors which could play if we if we go in this way that lifestyle can play a, a role in uh, in alzheimer disease oh well uh, regarding lifestyle the first thing you you consider is diet right lifestyle is what you eat yes but, uh, but the, uh, regarding my mother uh, since 2005 she had a plant-based diet uh, because she had something health related mm -hmm. and she changed her uh, her uh, nutrition a lot she was very careful about that uh, she told uh, she taught us me and my sister from a younger age to be careful of what we eat to uh, be careful of toxins and so on mm -hmm. uh, but i guess in her case it was stress because mm -hmm. she was always as i said on the run she had so many things to do and uh it's not like somebody put it on her head just do it she wanted mm -hmm. to do those things we always told her mama let the things go we don't need you to go around and do so many things you are okay we are grown-ups we don't need i don't know money but no she was constantly uh in need to do something uh, in the, she was involved in the community, in the university. With uh, she also had therapy with different persons. So but she was offering she, therapy. Yes, but mm -hmm. she could not uh, unwind. Not mm -hmm. yes. I think stress was the the stress. biggest problem. Yes. And okay, symptoms started. The diagnosis came was um, was probably a shock, a shock for you. Uh, so now, 
um, do you live with her or something change in her lifestyle or um, could you say i mean stress now is less because probably she's uh, she's retired but how how is now life uh, uh, when, her life when- Yes, when Alzheimer's strikes at uh, this age, I mean, it's a young age because uh, most people mm-hmm, at 60 course. years old are still young. Uh, they can do, they work. Um, the the evolution is quite um, quick, rampant. I don't know how to say it. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, I understand yes. that it's very fast from one moment. Yes, it's very fast. And in three years, everything uh, developed so quickly that now... She needs constant care. Mm-hmm. Uh, physically, she's okay. We take care of her diet. We well, we try to give her plants, uh, and it's very uh, weird that uh, before the disease, she was very careful of what she ate. But now she could eat everything, and mm-hmm. I know it's a hypothalamus thing re- mm-hmm. uh, related to Alzheimer, but it's uh, for us as her children, it's quite shocking because we knew it's like uh, her personality changed. Mm-hmm. And for the people who are listening, you have also a medical background. So um, you probably uh, read a lot of literature, you you did a research, so uh, you, you, and it's your mother, so you, you, do, uh, you do the best. But there are some some lifestyle habits okay you said that now she changed her way of eating but something which acts in positive way so somewhere i was reading that for example um certain patients um they like to play with uh, with yeah. dolls or mm, no, no. Uh, we oh, what i have two kids two small kids and what I do with my kids, I try to do with her. Uh, okay. For example, coloring books or, I don't know, knitting or something to do. Mm-hmm. It's like my, like a child, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. But it's heartbreaking because she was a very strong woman and a very kind woman. And now mm-hmm. um, it's, it's totally dependent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was my question, that uh, which you actually said that it's living and seeing uh, uh, your mother um, changing so much. It really requires a lot of uh, change attitude from you. How are you dealing with these? I mean, it's love, but another way, it's a it's a huge source of stress. How you are dealing with the stress? Um, <laughs> I'm, if I may ask, I'm I'm not dealing with. I just take things as they are. Mm-hmm. I always think that um, every every human has its challenges in in his life, and this is my challenge, maybe. And mm-hmm. yes, in the beginning, I was very upset, and I couldn't accept it. But now, I just take things as they come and take one day after another and mm-hmm. just enjoy what I have <laughs> mm-hmm. like that. So thank you very much for, uh, for sharing with us um, uh, this personal journey, what, what you are living now. Uh, and um, let's hope that um, 
through more research and we will have also uh, uh, we had uh, we have the interview with the professor uh, uh, she's involved uh, for many years studying lifestyle uh, influences on uh, developing and uh, evolution of Alzheimer. Let's hope that we can still have uh, fast uh, data which can uh, ameliorate your life and the life of your mother. So really thank you for sharing with us this. Thank you. Uh, the former president, uh, U.S. president Ronald Reagan, or the actor Peter Peter Falk, who played the detective Columbo, were the first public figures with Alzheimer who brought this medical condition to the general public. We have associated it very long time with a disease on which we have no influence at all. It was described for the first time in 1906 by the German psychiatrist Alois Alzheimer, whose patient Augusta Dater, 51 years old, came to him in 1901 in a hospital in Frankfurt, Germany, with memory troubles, difficulties in orientation and strange behavior. A few years later, when she died, he autopsied her and found in her brain modification, which we usually find in much older persons. This is why, for a while, following these results, it was considered that only younger people can be affected and seniors can only be senile linked to older age. The famous German neuropsychiatrist Emil Krapelin proposed in 1910 to give the name of Alzheimer to this form of degenerative dementia after the work of his former assistant, Alois Alzheimer. Today, we know it is a medical condition with which came, comes with age, even if it's not a normal sign of aging. Only 5% of people can have symptoms of Alzheimer before the age of 60. Its incidence is increasing after the age of 65, and almost one-third of people over 90 are suffering from it. In 5 to 10% of the cases, Alzheimer has a hereditary component, first-degree relatives. In a special edition for the Alzheimer Day last year, Laurent Dupuis wrote in the French weekly Learn about the five prejudices which we have regarding this medical condition. He shared the case of Francoise, whose husband was telling her every day how much he loved her until the disease started to ravage his body. One day, when a love song was playing on the radio, her husband came to her and took her hand in his. First, she thought that this was by hazard, so another day she again played a love, a love song and the reaction of her husband was the same. It shows that even if their body and brain change, the emotions of those suffering from Alzheimer are the same and this requires a totally different attitude towards people with Alzheimer. Professor Anne-Claude Gerard van der Linden and her husband Martial van der Linden worked for many years on aging and how lifestyle influences the cognition including in Alzheimer. Their article, A Life Course and Multifactorial Approach to Alzheimer Disease, Implication for Research, Clinical Assessment and Intervention Practices, came like a revelation for me because it challenged the traditional medical approach. Let's listen together what this new concept is about in the interview with Professor Anne-Claude Juirat van der Linden from Switzerland. 
I'm glad that you accepted our invitation. Um, um, I have the honor to talk with Anne-Claude Gerat van der Lieden. Um, she's a clinical psychologist um, specialized in neuropsychology. She's a lecturer at the University of Geneva. And um, she's the, one of the founder of uh, an association called VIVA. It's a French acronym for valorizing and integrating for a better aging in order to help people age well within a local uh, community. And the reason why uh, you are here is because uh, I read your uh, very challenging uh, article um, where you, you talk about totally another approach of Alzheimer's disease, um, which is in um, contradiction with the dominant biomedical view. So welcome and um, thank you that you accepted the invitation. Thank you very much for the invitation. I'm most pleased to contribute to these talks uh, because I'm deeply convinced, as we are going to talk about it, of the multiple factors that act on uh, our daily life and our health, including the cerebral health. Uh, and uh, what I forgot to say, maybe one important thing, that you are also one of the founder of the Swiss Society of Lifestyle Medicine. So uh, actually your approach, uh, your view, uh, which is evidence-based uh, on Alzheimer's, is that lifestyle uh, medicine, lifestyle factors play an important role in um, the development and also in understanding uh, Alzheimer's disease. Yes, it has been increasingly evident over the years that what is named Alzheimer's disease is something that is much different from one person to another. At one time, we were saying that once you have seen an Alzheimer's patient, an Alzheimer's patient you have seen one Alzheimer's patient. That means that there were huge variabilities from one person to another. And uh, for years, and actually my late husband was the first to show this in the late 80s, that from a neuropsychological point of view, you had very different uh, subtypes of clinical presentations of so-called Alzheimer's disease. And over the years, it has been more and more evident uh, that lots of other factors were acting on cerebral aging and on its so-called pathology. I was much impressed by the very early 2000s that people who had gone through severe depression in their adult life were at much increased risk of having hippocampal atrophy in aging. And the hippocampus is a part of the brain that is really central to build an episode of, uh, of your life, to remember something in a few days. I will remember we had this nice encounter through Zoom uh, on a sunny afternoon. For me, it's sunny. And, um, that we could chat uh, this way. This is allowed by my hippocampus. And we know that this structure can be often uh, suffer atrophy through aging, and especially in so-called Alzheimer's disease. But uh, it's the first thing you are going to look at when you look at an MRI for an Alzheimer's patient. And you see, oh, hippocampus atrophy, 
grade one, two, three. And uh, this is for me an evidence that the person has Alzheimer's in the classical biological view. Uh, you told about the biophysiological view of Alzheimer's disease. Mm -hmm. But there are now evidence that, for example, people who have had depression will also have this kind of atrophy. We also have evidence that people who have bad stero uh, deficient stereotypes about aging, that things are oh, aging is just a disaster, it's a, it's a wreck, it's really something terrible. People mm -hmm. who have this view of aging are more prone to have atrophies in their brains and have more so-called Alzheimer's lesions in their brains. So those who are thinking in a negative way, Yes, it's very impressive. The mm -hmm. way, you know, in French, we, we speak of the la méthode coué. It means that if you think that you're, you are going to pass a test, you will be in a much better shape to pass it rather than you, in, if you think, oh my God, I'm going to fail it. But there have been very interesting studies regarding aging that show that before doing a, a test, classically a neuropsychological test, you induce in people the idea that they are old, that they are belonging to a group of old people performing the test. Their results will be, in average, 30, around 20 to 30% below uh, what they would do if they were not induced before doing the test. So what are we doing to elderly people? We're, we are really frightening them with the idea that the, the first loss of memory may be a sign of Alzheimer's disease. If just thinking that you get old makes you perform that worse, you can imagine what results you, you get in people when you're, well, really making people fear so much Alzheimer's disease because it's now something that is in the mind of uh, everyone uh, since their mid-50s, I would say. More exactly, according to the data from your article, said that the prediction, say the number of older people by 2050 who will have cognitive impairment associated with impairments of daily living activities, uh, namely persons with dementia, will increase. So is this because we are pessimistic living in this world? Is this because we live a lifestyle which eventually we can change or this is already determined before we born to the life of our uh, parents almost all of them doctor <laughs> <laughs> which one is most important or how how we should what we should take first eventually to to modify it that the older you get the higher you are at risk of developing some cognitive problems or having memory or language or reasoning problems. It's really a problem of your brain cells that get older and more fragile, and they are going to be more sensitive to external aggressions. And by external aggressions, it can be something, well, all the cerebrovascular disease, for example. We know that if you suffer from hypertension, from diabetes, or if you are smoking, you, you, you really increase by twofold your risk of having a cognitive impairment. If you are at 60 years old, you are diabetic or, hyper, or uh, suffer from hypertension or, or smoker, you have uh, by the age of 70, 
a risk that is two for, uh, increased by two of getting a diagnosis of dementia, mm -hmm. just because of these, these risks. But we also know that, um, for example, being stressed will play an important role. Feeling lonely will play an important role. Feeling useless, and in our societies where, where we are more and more parking people uh, outside of you, you know, because you are not young, efficient, and bringing money, so we put you somewhere when we don't see you too often. Uh, this really plays a very important role. And feeling, uh, uh, we show that people who feel they, they no longer belong to a community are really a much higher risk of, uh, of getting uh, cognitive impairment. We also know that there are lots of lifestyle factors that will play a role all lifelong, but also when you get older. That is the, the way you are eating, and there are really lots of data now speaking of the Mediterranean diet. We know how good it is for cerebrovascular uh, prevention, for cancer prevention, but it's also the same for, for brain. I mean, the healthier you eat, you don't, need, you don't eat too much uh, grease, too much uh, animal, uh, well, red, red meat, uh, not too, too fatty meat, uh, food and all these things. And, uh, but lots of vegetables, fruits, rather fish, and this will really play a role. The physical activity, this is very impressive. Uh, so it's something that is already lifelong. We can really demonstrate that people who have remained active during all their lives, they are going to age better. They have less brain atrophy. There are very interesting data that showing there is really a limit of walking about 10 kilometers a week. That really makes a difference. Hmm. It's, it's really the, and it's not the idea that on Sunday I go for a big walk. It's really the idea that every day you go for half an hour walk and you have two days off. But mm -hmm. it's the idea that you walk every day for half an hour. And also an important um, dimension is that in this half an hour, for three minutes, you in increase a little bit the rhythm. So that's high intensity. But you are at the level of being able to finish a sentence. So, okay, I can still speak to you, but not too much more. This is really the level, so it's very individual, but it really shows that having for three minutes this level of exhaustness will really contribute to find the right level of activity that will have this preventive effect. So, could we say that? It's up to us and our lifestyle if we will develop dementia of Alzheimer, I mean, like a form of dementia, or we still talk also about the genetic part, which we can have eventually from our parents or from we okay. don't know where. There is, of course, the brain is a part of your body. And of course, we have different... Uh, I would say fragilities, you know, uh, the, or, strength, or strength. We know that people who in their childhood have some problem with acquiring, acquiring language are more prone to develop what we name progressive aphasias in, in their aging. Mm -hmm. We also know that depending upon your genes, you will have resistance to brain aggressions that some people with other form of alleles won't have. But it's not specific for so-called Alzheimer's disease. 
it means that you have a, if you have a stroke, uh, if you have a head trauma, if you have Parkinson's disease, you will be more or less resistant to the disease and develop more or less cognitive problems or, or have long-term sequel if it's after a head trauma or a stroke, depending upon the type of alleles that you have for a gene. This is something, but something very important. It's not just lifestyle and genetics. We know that also your personality will play a role, that just the stress you have gone through through your life will play a role. We already talked about depression. Uh, we know that uh, your sense of identity will play a role. And we know also that still belonging to a community and keeping activities, uh, activities that are brain challenging. We, with my husband, we translated into French a book that is named The Myth of Alzheimer's Disease that was written by a very famous neurologist in the U.S., Peter Whitehouse, who has been for years one of the key researchers in Alzheimer's disease. And he, he wrote this book, most interestingly, with a medical anthropologist, showing that it's not just by chance that we were starting to speak about Alzheimer's disease by the end of the 20th century because it was forgotten for about 70 years, but it came back and there are reasons for that. But uh, in, in this book, I mean, it, it is really shown all the, but when we did, I, I wanted to say that when we did this translation uh, with, with my husband, it, they were really providing at the end, um, ordinance, what's the name in English? Uh, prescription. Prescription, excuse me. Mm -hmm. uh, for aging well and among the thing it's really to be a lifelong learner education also play a very important role we can see that the more you educate yourself and it's just not just by going to school or going to the university just remaining curious during all your life this will protect you over time being really interested in lots of things being curious and being involved in different type of activities uh, data have shown that uh, having at least four different activities through the week will really provide you with a better brain protection, will really help uh, constitute your cognitive reserve. And it, 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 it will even be better if you do these activities with other people in a group to which you feel you belong. If you do this by yourself, it's good. But if you do this with other people, share it with other people, it will really uh, uh, increase the beneficial effect of the, all these activities. Mm -hmm. You talked about the book. I um, It's on my uh, reading list because I found when I was with Google your, uh, your name and to see the books, I found also that you, you translated this. Uh, um, but what for me, the... First, I would say, uh, was a movie. So it was a movie with Julia, Julianne Moore. I, I love it, uh, this actress, because she's so expressive and she's playing uh, uh, a role of an academia person. So she's a, uh, she's a professor and she's having probably an early form of, uh, of Alzheimer, around 45 or something. But what really touched me there was the community, his, her family, which was sustaining her, these, this community sense, what, what you mentioned before. And actually, this leads me to the, 
uh, one of the challenge of today, uh, which was uh, during the pandemic, we faced that uh, seniors, elderly in the in the elderly homes, um, they in many countries they are they were just I had the feeling that they are just abandoned there. It's like like with a cemetery of people. As you mentioned, in one moment we just don't want to see them. And I really think that because most of them, they are with dementia or some form of dementia, it's, um, I found amazing what you mentioned here in your article that you, you suggest that we should uh, develop, we should not divide the people between those who have uh, Alzheimer's disease and those who do not. And then we should um, create uh, more unity between generation and to develop social structures in which the elderly, regardless of their problems, may find goals and meaningful roles in a society. And actually, you are doing this, you are practicing this through your association. Um, how how is this working? Do you have results or what's why yeah. you are doing this, actually? <laughs> Because I believe in it, <laughs> and I have Perfect. results for that, you know. Now, um, actually, we, we created this association just when we finished the translation of Peter Whitehouse on the Danny George book. So it's been 11 years ago. And we say, okay, we have now the, the, the said all this from a theoretical point of view. Now, how can this translate into real life? And uh, I was lucky enough to be a city councillor for several years in the, where I live. So I know very well all the, the, the local association, the local administration, uh, the, the cultural service, the sports service, all this. And say, okay, we know that what can help people but, uh, to age well. So what can help people is to have physical activity, is to eat well, is to feel they are not lonely, is to feel they can face new challenges. And how can we help them uh, go into all this and feeling confident into doing this? Mm -hmm. So we have started slowly small programs where we, we are, first we have gathering once a week where people come and have a drink together. But very early what we started to do is intergenerational uh, projects. That means we are doing things with elderly people and kids and we have almost done everything. We have done uh, lots of physical activity. We have done this with people from kindergarten and people who were in retirement homes. And we did it, you know, you had a kid and an elderly person. And we had someone who was giving gym classes because we know that the people who are more prone to fall are the very young and the very old. So we had these exercises for balance, for strength, to, to, to help them like, gain a, a better um, a better balance and a less, uh, lessen the risk of fall. But uh, by doing this with a kid or with an elderly people, it really brought such an energy, such a pleasure to be with the other. The elderly people never missed a single day of exercise because they felt, oh, if I don't go, the poor kid will be alone. I cannot Aww. do it. So really, and it was just so beautiful because some people were not walking anymore. And they started to walk again after the program. And it was just 10 times 45 minutes. 
We have people in retirement in retirement homes who are doing a painting activity. We were going into this home every second week. And one elderly lady in this home told me, you know, this project of painting with the kid, it's that what it is. This is what holds me to life. Oh, Just having the project of seeing this kid again, it, 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 it makes my day, it makes my weeks. So just little things like that make such a difference, you know. Some people told me that they felt their personality had changed because they had done these programs. And we have done, not, we have done several studies about these intergenerational mm -hmm. programs to see what effects they were having both on kids and on elderly people. And we could see that in kids, they were changing their, their prospect of aging because before they did the project, they were really into the ambient ageism. You know, all we think that, oh my God, God, all this dreadful and all this disgusting. Some, some kids, before they did the project, they're all elderly people. They stink. They cannot walk anymore. They have lost their brains. And after they did the project, they, they all said, oh, but elderly people are our friends. They are like us. They have life experience. So nice. They can tell us so much ab about life. And for elderly people, they told us that, well, they also changed their mind about the kids, saying, oh, they're not that rude. They are just so sweet and uh, so, so enthusiastic. And we feel we are useful. Now we, we have a project, for example, we have a garden uh, in a school. And all the kids of this school, when they are eight years old, in the spring, they start to, to walk in the garden with people from Viva. And the next year, when they start the, the next year at school, they keep gardening with the elderly people of Viva so they can see the evolution of a garden all through the year, you know? Oh, and, so nice. And we have plenty of things. I told you we have done rap uh, workshops with <laughs> us. We had a 99-year-old lady doing rap with kids, you know, and uh, teenage kids. We have done knitting programs where we had uh, elderly women, these were women coming in school, but we had little boys, 11 years old, who were just so enthusiastic about learning how to knit with elderly women. You know, it's just magnificent. Uh, I really thank you for uh, for all these ideas and activities what you share here. And as you mentioned, the book of um, that you translated uh, with your husband as was inspiration for you to uh, to develop Viva and all these activities. Let's hope that uh, our small chat here will be also an inspiration for other people who maybe would like to contact you to know more information, or they will develop something which will change this. Uh, this um, I would don't I don't even know how to call it image about being older, which is. Unfortunately, not typical for, I mean, fortunately, it's uh, not uh, for all the culture, culture. So we know that in Asia, they have totally another image about uh, uh, older people. But let's hope that something will move. Let's hope that some people will uh, start to, um, to live healthier. So thank you very much that uh, you've been here. But you, you point this very well. It's a multiple domain thing. You have your own part to play because some things are under your responsibility. A part is related to your genetics, but the society also, also has something to do about it and to, 
to build structures where elderly people keep having their place. And as medical doctors or health practitioners, we can also hold another discourse to our elderly and it really makes a change because the way you are thinking about yourself definitely make a change in the way you are feeling and you are and your health with uh, with your brain health is going to develop and remain in, in the old years thank you thanks to you thank you We arrive uh, to the end of our episode and until um, our next um, audio journey together, the next episode which will tackle culinary medicine, thank you for being with us.